Welcome to The Defiant. I'm your host, Tegan Klein. Today, we're joined by Coinbase's head of cryptography, Yehuda Lindell. He has big news to share as Coinbase just released WAS, which is an MPC wallet. Some are calling this one of the most exciting products from Coinbase yet. Not Google, nope, this is being launched inside of crypto at Coinbase. Yehuda has an impressive track record. He's a former professor and the former CEO of Unbound Tech, a cybersecurity company specializing in privacy and key management solutions. Unbound Tech, the company Yehuda co-founded, was acquired by Coinbase. Yehuda leads the cryptography team at Coinbase, driving innovation in the field of secure computation and increased privacy and data security. On today's podcast, we dive into the cryptography team at Coinbase, the new innovative wallet that might just be the key to mass adoption for crypto, bringing self-custody to the masses, where we're expecting tech giants to jump on this new wallet opportunity. How WAS compares to holding crypto on exchanges and multi-sigs, Coinbase self-custody, and beyond. We also get into Yehuda's advice for aspiring cryptographers and so much more. But first, Yehuda tells us what he's focused on inside of Coinbase. So right now I'm heading the crypto- up, heading up the cryptography team at Coinbase. We're building out uh, all of the key management and key protection for signing keys uh, across the board in all of Coinbase's products. Uh, it's a long process, but we're, we're uh, well into it. And uh, there's a lot of cryptography in the crypto world, obviously. And so we're there to make sure that everything's done uh, as well as possible, basically. Amazing. And I know you have an exciting update to share on the new Coinbase wallet service. But first, I would love to maybe get into some into some background about you. And maybe first we can start with, you know, many, many top cryptographers kind of turn their head to crypto because of the amount of speculation that exists in the space. But it does feel like there's kind of been a shift with many top cryptographers entering the crypto scene, including yourself. Why do you think that there has been a shift? Uh, so I think that first we have to look at who the, who cryptographers are. Again, it's a it's a you know it's a generalization because there were cryptographers obviously very interested early on as well. But cryptographers are technologists. So I'll talk about myself. I'm a technologist. I understand technology, uh, at least cryptographic parts of technology. I don't really understand finance. I don't understand necessarily that much about. Uh, um, you know, global economics and decentralization as an economic goal. I understand technology. In the very early days of blockchain, uh, it was very unclear, at least to cryptographers, I think, you know, what what is this application all about? If we look at the technology, you look at the Bitcoin white paper, that was an amazing uh, piece of research. If you look at a new consensus mechanism, it's built around ideas that we were aware of from years beforehand with proof of work and other things. But the way it went together was fascinating, but it wasn't very clear really whether it's needed or or what it can do. And if you combine that together with a lot of hype and also people doing not very good things or or even things that just make no sense whatsoever on blockchain in the early days, sort of people said, you know, I I, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know about this entire space. I think at some point we uh, understood, or at least many of us understood, that you can ignore what some people are doing, and and that's fine. So there are many people doing really good things, and you can focus on that, ignore the noise, ignore the hype, ignore the the bad actors, and uh, and there's a lot of value here. And even today, I'll say that I don't fully understand the economic ramifications, but I understand the technology. I understand that being able to hold money directly is valuable and uh, um, makes for a much more efficient financial system and uh, can enable many people in, in places that didn't have opportunities beforehand. All of those things I can understand very well as a technologist. And, and I think that's a process that many other people went through as well. Amazing. Yes, it does take some time. And I know this new wallet service uses some pretty heavy duty cryptography, and I'm excited to dive into that in a moment. But first, maybe give us some background on the cryptography team at Coinbase and how you ended up there. Yes. So the cryptography team has been around before, before I was there. I think about a few years ago, Coinbase realized as they should that they needed 
uh, heavy-duty cryptography and cryptographers. But I, I joined the team and a couple of the others that are on the team now, and of course the, the cryptography engineering team, joined from an acquisition of, of Unbound Security. It was a startup that I co-founded that used MPC for uh, key management and key protection for keys of all types for uh, all application domains. So it was it wasn't it, there was part of it certainly in the, the blockchain and, and cryptocurrency space, but also in legacy banking and and you know, large technology firms and so on and so forth. Sort of replacing hardware and replacing other solutions using MPC. And a year and a half ago, about that, uh, Coinbase acquired us. Uh, for us, it was a great opportunity to. Uh, really push the technology mainstream and in a huge way very quickly. So we're very excited about that opportunity. And uh, yeah, so been already, it's already been a year and a half and actually feels like sort of yesterday. So it's, uh, it's very exciting. Let's get into the details of your announcement and white paper. Coinbase is releasing Coinbase Was, which is an MPC wallet. Maybe give us in layman's terms, what is MPC, which stands for multi-party computing? Yeah. So MPC, uh, which is, you know, that's the latest acronym. I've been doing this since 1998. So uh, uh, secure computation or secure multiple computation or, or MPC uh, enables parties in distinct places, distributed parties to compute a joint function without revealing anything but the result of that function. That's sort of like the, the title. And, and when you think about it in that way, the original applications people thought about for it we're mainly maybe in areas of privacy. We want to compare our DNA in order to see whether uh, we're related. That's something you can actually do, but I don't want to give you my DNA. You don't want to give me your DNA. We don't trust any uh, third party to give our DNA to. And you can actually do this with MPC and not reveal anything whatsoever. Uh, recently, uh, with the growth of blockchain and, and crypto and digital assets, and therefore signing uh, as a very key tool in those systems, MPC became a way of taking a private key and splitting it into two or more pieces, enabling you to sign, generate that key, sign on a transaction with that key without ever bringing it together. And that opens a huge amount of possibilities in terms of uh, distributed policies, having uh, fl workflows where different people approve and, uh, and uh, different transactions, but enforce it cryptographically. It enables you to protect your key because you don't have it in any single place that anybody can steal it. And, uh, and it has mathematically proven guarantees. It's technology that is founded in very deep science from the late 80s, thousands of research papers. So it's something that we have a good understanding of as well. Okay, great. And what's the main objective of Coinbase WAS and how does it use MPC to achieve this? Yes, I think the best way for me to, to, to explain this is to say what happens when someone who's not in the field, someone who's not crypto forward, someone who doesn't really know about it and gets an offering to, you know, download a crypto wallet and now you can use my application. And say, cool, sounds good. So I download and then I want to set up and suddenly I get this, this message saying, write down this mnemonic and if you lose it or someone steals it, you'll lose all of your money irreversibly. I'll never get it back. It's like, Okay, I don't know anymore, right? I mean, do I really want to do this? I mean, you're giving me no guarantees. I'm responsible for everything. And it's this like set of, you know, random words that I'm supposed to put somewhere. And I'm putting my safe at home, but, but it burns down or, or, or someone steals it. And, you know, how much money is it worth there? And it's really a very, very scary process. And it puts all of the obligation on the user and all the responsibility on the user, and for the masses, that just, it's not gonna work. If we want mass adoption, it has to be something which is transparent, which is easy, which enables me to uh, uh, interact with some organization to get help when things go wrong. Um, you, there are stories, a lot of stories of customers calling up and saying, uh, when they have you know, uh, their own wallet, and they say something like, I need to do a password reset and getting told that just doesn't exist. This isn't, you're not in the exchange, you're in, you know, you're, you're holding your own wallet and it's your responsibility and suddenly they're very confused and what is this all about? So the idea of WAS is to enable uh, mass uh, adoption and deployment of crypto wallets in a way that's very, very easy both for the end user. So the end user should not have to do anything. It should just be completely automatic. 
But also, uh, and that's why it's WAS, it's as a service, it's not a wallet that we're offering, so to speak, uh, per se, it's not a full application. We're offering this to organizations who maybe are uh, used to web working in like the Web2 philosophy, or, uh, or maybe their end users just need something very simple and they're not experts in key management and blockchain technology. And they can take it out of the box, deploy it very easily, have a very easy experience for them as the, as the, as the Coinbase customer who's deploying the, the app to their customers uh, and having customers be able to actually use a wallet without having any of the pain uh, of, of today's self-custody wallets. But it's still being self-custody and that's the, really the main point. If it's not self-custody, it can just be inside Coinbase Exchange, right? That, that's fine. And the way I say it is what enables you to get the user experience of an exchange while actually being self-custody, or stated differently, enables you the, gives you the experience of a, of a Web2 application with all of the service that you get from your service provider, but while actually being truly Web3. Super exciting to see you all lowering the barrier to entry when coming into the crypto space. And when can users start leveraging WAS? So WAS is uh, now, uh, you know, it's been released. It's, uh, it's available and it'll be, I guess, up to uh, customers to take WAS, um, deploy it in their ecosystem and then offer it on to, to end users. Ideally, end users will have no idea that it's WAS and they'll have really no idea that uh, it'll be very transparent to them. They'll be able to hold assets and they don't really care or they maybe care about knowing that it's self-custody and knowing that it belongs to them. But they don't have to do anything for that. It's free and transparent. Got it. And is this being applied to things like Coinbase Wallet, Coinbase's self-custody solution, or will it be kind of a new service that users need to sign up for? So this is, uh, right now we're talking about a release for a new service, but it's not a service that, a con that an end consumer, an end customer will come to Coinbase for. It'll be, you know, some organization uh, wants to deploy a crypto wallet, maybe you have a game or you have something else and you want to use deploy a crypto wallet, you don't want to build it from scratch. If you want to, you shouldn't. Uh, <laughs> you shouldn't want to, and you certainly shouldn't do it. And you'll be able to uh, work with Coinbase to uh, get the SDK, uh, put it, just uh, uh, deploy it in your client app, and everything will work out of the box. And, and that's the way that end consumers will get it. Right now, it's organizations who will be buying it from Coinbase to provide a service to their customers. Got it. Okay, that makes sense. And can we talk a little bit about that customer experience? Can you walk us through what that will look like in terms of the wallet setup, wallet backup, transferring coins to someone else, using a DeFi app, how things like that will work? Absolutely. So, so let's start with uh, setting up the wallet. What I said beforehand was it's right today, if you're setting up a self-custody wallet, it's this really scary a process where you have to do manual work to somehow store this mnemonic and put it somewhere really safe. And, you know, if you're uploading it to your iCloud, that's just interesting as it is, that's, that's very dangerous. And the, the idea, if we go back to what MPC is, so MPC says that I'm not going to hold the key in its entirety. What I'll hold is one share of the key and you'll hold the other share of Coinbase, the Coinbase server will hold the other share of the key. And this share is just random garbage. What's important about it is that if you get that share, you actually have no information about the key. And as soon as you realize that, you think that, one second, that means that it's, I still want to protect it. I don't want to, you know, put it uh, on my homepage. But uh, if, I, if I put it in my iCloud, then it's, it, within itself, it's not valuable for anything. If someone steals it, they can't do anything with it. They would have to try and convince, you know, they have to authenticate to Coinbase and prove that they, they're who they are, that they're, they're me, and, uh, and somehow bypass a lot of other protections to do some sort of restore to a wallet. But Because with, within itself, it just doesn't give you anything whatsoever. So that means that we can now automate a lot of things that beforehand, beforehand had to be manual and were extremely security sensitive. So to set up a wallet... Essentially, of course, this because it's worse, it depends on what the, uh, the Coinbase customer, who's actually the service provider to the end consumer, it depends how they set it up. But one way or a typical way that one could set it up is that this, uh, um, this backup that you need to do straight away will be uh, in your iCloud 
or maybe even at, at the service provider, not, not Coinbase, so that needs to be separate from Coinbase, but it's something completely automatic because it, within itself it doesn't give you anything. So my setup would look just like setting up any Web2 account. I would, you know, I'd have my username and, and a password to authenticate. Uh, I would uh, um, set up on my, dev on, if it's on my mobile, I'd probably I'd set up my biometrics so that the share on my phone that's used for the operations, ongoing operations, will be protected in the secure enclave. And, and all of that would happen just automatically without me needing to, to do anything manual at all. And once I've done that, then everything will work again in the way that we would expect from user experience, in the way that I expect from any Web2 type of setting. So I want to sign on something, I would say on, I would get a notification on my, on my mobile, I would say yes, that transaction I want to sign. And invisibly under the hood, I will be authenticating to my secure enclave, opening the MPC share on my phone, interacting with Coinbase server to generate a, 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 a signature on the transaction without revealing anything about the key shares. Uh, but that's all invisible to me. So user experience, it will look just like uh, um, a seamless Web2 experience, but truly being self-custody because Coinbase does, does not have the uh, uh, does not have the, the the key at all. There's also the whole issue of backup, and I think that's really important because, at least in my mind, I think backup is sort of like the Achilles heel of, of everything here, because that's the hardest thing to do. It's the most dangerous thing to do, and I also like to say, what would be worse if someone stole a million dollars from you, or even a hundred thousand dollars, or ten thousand dollars from you, or if you lost it? <laughs> I would argue it's much, much worse psychologically if, if, if you lost it. Um, and what's interesting about backups is it's actually the, the better I back it up, the easier I make it to steal. Right? So if you think about it, what's the best way to back something up? Write it in five different places. Send it to myself by email, put it in my iCloud, put it in my Dropbox, write it down a piece of paper and put it in my safe at home. Uh, I... And once I do all that redundancy, I make it really hard to lose it. So, you know, I won't have any problem losing my money, but someone can steal it much more easily. And if I back up in a really, really, you know, secure way where uh, I'm encrypting it with some long password as well and putting that in my iCloud and writing that password down and putting that in some special place at home that in a year and a half time I actually need it, I can't remember for the life of me where I wrote it down. And then I've lost all of my money. So um, they're, at, they're, they're actually at odds. And what we do is we have two types of backup. We have what we call a Coinbase-assisted backup. And this is the backup that you would use almost all the time. If you lost your phone or you, you know, had some, some sort of problem with your phone or you transferred to another device and didn't transfer across. And, and this works by having Coinbase store one share of the key and my backup in my iCloud storing, storing another share of the key. And in order to restore, all I need to do is install the, 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 the application on, on, the, on my new phone, connect it to my iCloud, that, that's automatic, or my Google Drive, whatever it is, it's all, that's automatic. And then uh, authenticate and prove that I am really who I am and then it just happens. So this is the sort of experience that you expect when you're, you've lost your phone and you, and you want to restore your access. But there's, this, there's another backup which is really important is what we call the self-custody backup. And the idea is that the way I've described it so far where Coinbase has a share and the user has a share, Coinbase cannot carry any transactions without the user because um, Coinbase doesn't have the key. So it's certainly not a custodial solution. But it's also not truly self-custody because if Coinbase decides to not allow me to sign, I can't sign either because I don't have my key. So if you want truly, true full custody, full self, sorry, true self-custody, then what we want is we want the ability for the user to be able to restore from backup by themselves as well. So we have an additional backup called self-custody backup, which is an encryption of both shares so they were never in the clear at any time, that are stored somewhere. Again, it depends on the service provider who's the worst customer, but it could be that they hold it or it could be the user somewhere. 
and encrypted with a key, for example, on the, in, in the user's uh, secure enclave on, on their phone, or it could be in the future maybe a YubiKey or, or, or some sort of other encryption key somewhere. But this is really only a backup that you would ever need uh, in like a, a doomsday scenario type of thing. You know, there's a subpoena or, uh, you know, somehow, for some reason, that you, you, you can't work with Coinbase anymore or something like that. You know, no matter what happens, you're able to, you have your keys, they're fully your keys because you can restore using that backup. But it's not something that you typically would, would ever need to use on an ongoing basis. Got it. It's great to see that kind of autonomy given, being given to the users. And many Defiant listeners are very familiar with seed phrases. Uh, and from what I understand, although there is a seed phrase in the background that's kind of abstracted away from the user, is that right? Yes. Yeah, so I think that as a computer scientist, <laughs> I would say that a seed phrase is just a string. It's a way of encoding a series of random bits uh, into a certain readable format. And a cryptographic key is just a series of bits in a different format, which is an elliptic curve world or used in, in blockchain applications as just a random number in some, in some certain domain. So actually, these are all equivalent. And of course, all of cryptography relies on secret keys. And this, you know, this seed phrase uh, was there as a way to help people write it down without making a mistake. Writing down a, a whole series of hexadecimal numbers is not is not a great user experience, uh, and, and that's all it really is. So yes, of course there's a key, and there's a, there's a secret key, and it's a random secret key, but I don't hold the entire thing. It's shared between me and Coinbase, and that's the whole point. Got it, okay, great. And you know, between the launch of the Layer 2 of Base and WAS, it's super exciting to see Coinbase going more crypto native. Can you explain a little bit behind the motivation as to why you've chosen to go this crypto native route? So uh, I would say that this was always the end goal, but it's important to know that to get to an end goal, there are a number of steps along the way. So you can be a purist and say, this is where you want to go, and if you're not with us at that point, then you're not with us. Um, but that's not going to bring the technology to the masses. And if we want to enable this for the masses, then there has to be a way to get there which is suitable for everyone. And you have the very crypto forward community who it's very important for them that it's only self-custody and it's very important for them that it's decentralized. Uh, but you have many other people who want to play around with this idea. They want to uh, be able to start transacting, experiment, learn about it. You also have some people who say, you know what, I, I want to have my keys and my coins. I want control, but not over everything. I want some of my assets also to be maybe protected by Coinbase in Coinbase custody or exchange or whatever, because that gives me some diversification as well. And maybe I don't want all the responsibility. So there's validity in all of these different models, but it's some. But there was always a, a goal to decentralize more and to enable more decentralization. And I think that's exactly what we're seeing here. And Coinbase wallet has been around for a long time. And that is fully self-custodial, but this type of technology we're now introducing in, in WAS uh, enables, um, enables us to, to do that in a much, much better way that really encourages decentralization because it doesn't put all of the responsibility on the user. Saying, yeah, you, you, here you have your own self-custodial wallet, but it's your problem if you lose anything. Uh, we're fixing that and saying, yeah, you can have a self-custodial wallet. It really is your assets. We don't have them at all. But we're not leaving in a lurch. We've built a system that actually will help you and enable you to work with this in a usable way. And, and likewise with Base, there are a lot of things that we can do internally inside Coinbase uh, as, as, I guess, a, a Web2 <laughs> crypto company maybe, or at least some parts of it. Uh, and, they're, and they're legitimate and, and they're very important for some of our customers who, who really want that. But we also want to be able to enable more and more decentralization. And we all know that that L2 is critical for, for enabling the growth of the space. So base is a very, very important uh, step forward in that direction as well. Absolutely. And I would put Coinbase more as Web 2.5, right? Becoming more Web 3 by the day. <laughs> yeah, I'm probably get fired for saying it's a Web 2 company. I didn't mean that. <laughs> yeah, you guys aren't that bad. Parcel, the decentralized real estate trading platform, is making it easier to get exposure to global real estate. 
through city indices, you can trade the price change of popular US cities and easily access over 5 million properties with just a few clicks. With leverage up to 10x, you can go long or short and begin trading real estate in ways you never have before. Join today to start building a diversified real estate portfolio. What are the main companies that you anticipate will use WAS initially? Wow, you're asking a cryptographer product questions uh, or, or market questions. So, uh, you know, it's very hard to, to say. I think that um, one very obvious segment is the uh, Web2 segment who want to get into Web3, but the, the path there is very, very difficult right now. So I think that's uh, a very obvious sector that uh, includes, you know, a huge, uh, uh, huge number of you know, enterprises, organizations across the world. And a, a second sector would just be you know, very crypto native companies, but who want to focus on what their business advantage is. And I think this is true in, in, in generally in, in uh, uh, SaaS solutions. So, you know, I want to build some, some new DeFi uh, uh, solution or, or some DAP. I'm not, that's my expertise. And I want, to, I want to be able to utilize my expertise and not be bogged down by things I'm just not an expert in. And key management, um, connecting to the blockchain, making sure that everything moves, runs smoothly, reporting, all of those things are actually very, very challenging. And Coinbase can do all of that for you in what's out of the box. And you can focus on you know, your business in the same way that today, no company is building their own database, right? You would never think about doing that. You're going to use, you know, a database, either you buy software or you use a service because that's not your business. Your business isn't about building a database. That's just infrastructure that you need. And it's crucial to, to, to running your business, but it's just infrastructure that you need. And, and that's the way we view us as well. It's an, just a real and really an enabler for, for whether you're, a Web2 company who just want to get into the space or even crypto native, I think this is a very, very good option. Absolutely. And I want to get into some of the what ifs. We covered what if I lost my phone, but what if Coinbase is compromised? How does the MPC protocol prevent a malicious party from changing the result of the computation? All right. So one of the, the in your question, it's, it's, it's a really important point that not everyone is aware of. Um, it's one thing to prevent someone from stealing your key. But you also have to prevent them from misusing your key. So you may have agreed to transfer you know, one Bitcoin to me. Um, but if I'm able to somehow change that to be 100 Bitcoins, that's a very, very different uh, type of transaction. And, and MPC protocols provide two main security guarantees. One we call privacy. But privacy here, we just mean that the secret inputs are not revealed. And in, in this case, that's the, that's the key shares. So the key shares are actually not revealed to each other. And that means that the key is not stolen. But the second thing it guarantees is, secure, is correctness. And that means that if I want to sign on a certain transaction, it doesn't matter what you try to do when we're running the MPC protocol. And even if you run a completely malicious attack with malicious code that you've designed specifically to attack my protocol, we have a mathematical proof of security that you can't change the transaction that I've intended to sign on. So even if Coinbase is completely compromised, uh, they can't do anything whatsoever. And in fact, in, in the WAS uh, deployment scenario, only the client, the, the, the user can initiate a, a signing transaction and they have to approve it. And it doesn't matter whatsoever what happens on Coinbase's side, you're fully protected. Okay, and what about the, the reverse of that? What if my device is compromised? Here it's the same, but not exactly the same. So as far as the MPC goes and, and, and the cryptographic guarantees, it's exactly the same. Uh, uh, someone malware compromising my device certainly cannot steal the key, and, um, but it could initiate a transaction. But here we have additional layers of defense because we always believe in defense in depth. So for example, um, the, the, the way this should be deployed on a mobile device is you're going to be using the secure enclave with biometric authentication in order to unlock the share to sign. So without the user go, going through that process, the malware won't be able to do anything anyway. 
Uh, and that gives, uh, uh, that means that even malware on the phone, unless, you know, okay, if it completely breaks iOS, you know, from the very beginning to the very end, then uh, it could initiate a transaction. But here you have uh, the potential, and it's something which, again, it depends on, on the, um, the implementation of the WAS customer when they're providing to their, their employees and also to their customers, sorry, and also, you know, roadmap additions. But it's possible to um, introduce policies that will limit what you're able to do. So in the same way that when I want to transfer money out of my bank, I have a $10,000 a day uh, a limit. Even if someone some, somehow manages to steal my credentials, they can't transfer more than $10,000. And you can make that lower or you can make that higher depending on your needs. So you can do the same thing here as well. And because the, the MPC process requires both sides to sign, this is a cryptographically enforced policy. It's not a policy that's enforced on only you know, on the UI, on the device, which, which you can bypass, bypass if you're malware. So once you have these types of policies, then uh, you're able to uh, get a good level of security even if the device is compromised. And you can say things like, you know, if uh, Tegan wants to uh, transfer a lot of money at 3 a.m., uh, where she is, that I'm going to start, you know, maybe I'm going to ask her for additional authentication or something because it's suspicious. You can do a lot of the fraud uh, mitigation uh, tactics that organizations ha have in place in the traditional financial world. I'm not saying that exists today in WAS, but the technology uh, uh, allows that and in fact encourages that. And this is the direction that these things are going. Got it. And what if Coinbase goes offline or shut down? I presume it's less of an inconvenience given you do have that self-custody backup solution, but anything else you would add there? Oh, I think that's really the point. So if it's offline for a short amount of time, you could restore from self-custody or you could just wait. Uh, but if it's shut down, something which isn't going to happen, but you know, it's always good to have that confidence that in the doomsday scenarios, we know that we're going to be fine. And unfortunately, we've had other examples of organizations that, that uh, nothing like the profile of Coinbase, but where these things have happened. And um, here we have the huge advantage of saying you don't have to trust us. You can trust us. That's the truth. We're a transparent public company, publicly audited, but you don't have to trust us. And that's the beauty of it, because you have that self-custody backup and you can extract all of your keys by yourself and go and uh, still have access to your assets. Okay, great. And then what about device portability? What if I want to add my wallet to other devices? Do I have optionality to do so? So uh, absolutely. I mean, on the, on the, I want to distinguish between what's actually in the first release in WAS right now. Uh, and, and I'm not exactly sure which of this functionality is there, but this is, again, these are things that certainly uh, have been built into the underlying technology and, and will be uh, rolled out. Uh, it's very easy to actually do that because let's think about how this thing works. There's a, there's a key share at Coinbase. There's a key share on my wallet, on, on my mobile. I now want to transfer that to another mobile or maybe to, maybe to my laptop. Uh, and all I really need to do is generate a secure channel between the two, device, two devices on my side. So maybe I'll have a QR code and I can just uh, transfer that share to my new wallet to my, my new mobile, my second mobile, my backup mobile, whatever I want to call it. And then I would run a cloning process with Coinbase that would recognize, I would have to authenticate and recognize this is now another uh, additional uh, uh, wallet of the same user. And actually, you would end up having two independent instances. And the way that works is that one of the things that we do in the MPC process is every time you sign, you actually change the sharing of the key. So if the key was a number 100, maybe now I hold 43 and you hold 57. But after we sign, I'll hold 73 and I'll hold 27. And every time we sign, that sharing changes into two different numbers. And uh, then so this new clone would actually hold a completely independent sharing of the key. And they can both work independently of each other, uh, doing that refresh each time and just working uh, as two separate devices, but on the same key on the same, in the end, the same wallet, the same keys, the same assets. 
Got it. Okay. And then I'm thinking, you know, even in a situation where someone were to get a hold of that seed phrase, they still wouldn't be able to port that to the wallet. Is that correct? And then are there any downsides that you can kind of double click into? Yeah. So again, in terms of getting a hold of, you know, if you manage to steal my share in some way, uh, that would be very difficult because there are many protections around it. But if, even if you could, by itself, it's useless. You would need to connect to Coinbase. You would need to authenticate, convince them uh, uh, you are who you are. And the level of how difficult that can be will depend, could also depend, uh, certainly depends on the WASP provider, the, the, the customer who's deploying this wallet to you as an end, end user. It could depend on the size of your wallet and many different things. In terms of the downsides, um, I don't see any downsides. There is one thing which is worth uh, taking note of is that this is an HD wallet. So it is, you know, it, there is one key that we derive many from. It's not a BIP32 wallet. And that means that when you want to port to, um, uh, you want to export, you're, you just, you're able to do it quite simply, you just export one key at a time. Uh, and there are wallets that enable you to do that. So it's a, very, it's a simple process, but it's not the same process that you may be used to as a, uh, you know, as, as, as someone who's been using other wallets uh, over the past years. But again, I, I think that actually this is a good thing. And the reason I think it's a good thing is in order to get to bring this to the masses, we have to change our perception about uh, what's the right way of doing things. So people are very used to working in a certain way. That's what they've become used to. It doesn't mean that the rest of the world will be comfortable and needs to work in the same way. And uh, the way that we're working is much better and easier for users. You have the ability to export. You have the ability to leave. We're not locking you in any way, shape, or form. Uh, we believe that you should stay with us because it's just a better product and not for any other reason. Uh, and therefore, you have the ability to leave, but it will work in a different way to, to current wallets. So if you're, you know, been using crypto for many, many years, that that's something you just have to realize. Absolutely. And that bridging is so important. And I feel like that's really been Coinbase's role from the very beginning is kind of bringing people into the ecosystem. And you always have the optionality, as you mentioned, to go, you know, full cold storage, tinfoil hat if you want to, but you don't have to. And it's good to have diversity as well. Uh, so I'm excited to see the new users that this brings into the crypto ecosystem. And then we touched on privacy, but can you double click into that? How does WAS achieve privacy? So the privacy that we're talking about in the MPC techno technical term doesn't mean what you would expect. So you might think that if you say, oh, it achieves privacy, that means that I don't know what I'm signing on or Coinbase doesn't know what I'm signing on. And we can actually, we can actually do that if we want to. That's something that can be deployed. It doesn't work that way right now because, for example, things like that policy checking I was talking about required actually both sides to know what you're signing on. But MPC as a technology does support that. So if that's something that the community becomes very interested in and wants the ability for me to be able to sign without Coinbase knowing, uh, that certainly is possible. The only thing that's important to note is that in the blockchain space, that has limited benefit because I'm putting the transaction on blockchain. So it's becoming public as soon as I post it. So what's the advantage of Coinbase not knowing it if I'm going to post it straight away anyway? Well, the answer is maybe front running or maybe there'll be, uh, uh, you know, um, deep applications where I want to uh, enforce that you can't front run and then I'd want to run everything inside this MPC component. That certainly these things are possible. MPC is a very powerful technology, enables you to do all of those things, but that's not where we are now. That's not what we're doing now. Uh, right now, we want something which will uh, enable, give you the, the stronger security that will enable things like policy checking and so on. Got it. And there are many different wallet options, exchange options. Can we take a minute to just uh, talk about how Coinbase WAS is maybe different or better than some of these options, starting with, you know, maybe the Coinbase exchange? One thing I, I, I want to stress is uh, I do think in many ways this is much better. I certainly think that in terms of self-custody, this is the way to do it. But I think we have to be careful with better because different customers have different needs, different people have different preferences. And what we really want is an ecosystem that offers different opportunities and different possibilities to different users. So it may be better in one aspect, but it might still be that some customers will prefer a different solution. So in terms of the comparison to an exchange, 
the exchange has all of the advantages of providing the user full protection because the user is not responsible for protecting their funds, for not losing their funds. The vast majority of users are far, you know, are unable to do that, at least again with the existing technology that I have to hold my mnemonic and or, or maybe they're if they're able, it's a very, very burdensome task. And exchange is a very, very good option for them to offload that responsibility. But it means that it's not self-custody. So if you want self-custody, you want to be able to say, these are my keys and my coins, that is not a good option for you. And also moving towards decentralization and we think about things like NFTs that don't really work very well with an exchange type model, which are typically, you know, you could, but they don't really work that way. This are like pooled assets and especially Web3 ownership of my digital assets. That's not really the model that, that works for those sort of, sort of applications. So the other extreme is the standard self-custody wallet where I hold the key uh, by myself on my mobile and I'm responsible for the backup. And that's exactly what we talked about uh, beforehand, all of that responsibility and the challenges that are, are involved with that, that I think are a huge uh, barrier to mass adoption. And this is what I call it in the white paper, I call this the self-custody dilemma. That on the one hand, I want self-custody because that's really what I want to get out of this space and I want to be fully protected from doomsday scenarios and I want to make sure that I have full control over my assets, but I don't want to have the burden of everything being on me to protect them because that's not what I'm good at. That's not, you know... That's not what I want to spend my time doing. Most people do not have a bunker in their house downstairs where they have all of their uh, uh, dollars and, uh, and, and all of their physical assets. They do use banks and other things for their fiat currency. And why is that? Why did banks come around? Because I guess you know, keeping all the money under your mattress ended up not being a great idea for many, many people and not a very usable one either. So the, the Coinbase wallet exactly solves, not the Coinbase, the, the, the sorry, the WAS, the, the WAS solution solves that dilemma by enabling you to have self-custody, but without that responsibility, because uh, you have the Coinbase um, side that, that gives you all of the security protections that you need. So that's the comparison between those two. There are also other solutions around that use, for example, multi-sig. So multi-sig is, sounds a little bit like uh, a MPC, because MPC you could set up something where you have you know, three out of five parties sign on something. That sounds very much like multi-sig. The difference is that multi-sig looks like a different signature. Right? It's not a standard signature. MPC, even if I have three or five people signing, or one of two, which is in the existing you know, WAS uh, deployment, but there are other deployments in, in other places, uh, it ends up providing a single standard signature. And because a single standard signature, it means it will work with any blockchain. The blockchain doesn't have to support even multi-sig. Um, and you don't have to pay extra gas fees. You know, in, in Ethereum, if you want to use multi-sig, this is going to cost you gas because that's a smart contract which, uh, uh, which is more complex than a standard transaction. When you do MPC, you're you, you essentially offloading that to a, a pre previous step. And there are other advantages as well because it gives you much more flexibility in terms of changing, rotating, all of those things that multi-sig doesn't provide. So I think multi-sig is a... Uh, it's a good solution, but it, it doesn't reach the level of, uh, of, of uh, functionality and, uh, uh, and security you can get out of an MPC solution. Absolutely. Okay, great. Thanks for that breakdown. And everyone always wants to be on the multi-sig until they have to sign a transaction is kind of what I've learned. Uh, <laughs> and let's get a little controversial because it's, it's never fun without a little controversy. So security is obviously a touchy okay. subject. I'm not sure if you saw the ledger kind of recovery fiasco. What did you make of that? Where it turns out that rogue software can extract private keys from the device. And are you guys fundamentally different? Okay. Uh, so controversial question is a long answer. Uh, but I, I spent 15 years at professor in university, so I'm very used to giving very long answers, I always say that uh, with a professor, it's never a problem getting to start talking, it's a problem to get to stop talking. But okay, so uh, uh, let's get into it. So, so firstly, uh, it, it's rogue firmware, not rogue software, right? It's a firmware update that I still have to do. 
But before we get into those details, I want to uh, um, ask you if you're concerned that with a Google update to Chrome, Google can steal all of your passwords. Or with the next Windows update or uh, a Mac OS update, uh, those organizations can steal all of your passwords and secrets and all of your data. This is actually the reality of software. The reality of software is that we have a whole stack and we have some trust in a lot of that stack. And we need to, and that's just the way the world needs to work. Uh, so there's never, ever, there's never ever 100% security in anything, right? I mean, that's just the reality. It's the same thing with physical security, you know, personal security walking in the streets, uh, and it's the same thing with uh, in a digital world as well. So this is not a new concern in terms of something that we weren't aware of. When it comes to Ledger, I think that really what happened is a mismatch of expectations. Um, that and it's, that's all. That's always very unfortunate. So let, let's look at what Ledger could have done. There are two real. There are two main solution designs that they could have taken. One of them is where um, I build. I'm building secure hardware, and um, but within that secure hardware that I'm building, there's another. There's another piece inside that cannot be ever updated. Uh, like a smart card inside a smart card type of thing. So what I would actually do is I have this internal piece of hardware that, they, that does the signing, that holds the key, and that will just generate a very raw signature on something for ECDSA, EDDSA, whatever it is. And then I have firmware on top of that that will work sort of like as middleware to that internal smart card chip that will never release anything. And if they did that, then it would not actually ever be possible to extract the keys, even if they did firmware update. But now there's a blockchain which is doing a slightly different, a different signature. Or the format of the signature has changed in some way. And now what and now you have to rotate, you have to rotate your keys on chain because that ledger device becomes something which is not usable anymore. So that's a tough product choice to make. They could have done that. They decided not to do that. It's again, it's a legitimate product. Uh, users should be very aware of that because I could also see the headlines when you know, one of the major blockchains made a slight, slight change to, to one of the standards that they're using and, and now all ledger users are told they're gonna have to take, they're gonna have to get new devices and not only do you have to get new devices, they're gonna have to rotate on chain if they're only fully protected or, or maybe they're gonna have to restore from backup, which again, brings up the whole story of backup again, and that's, that's also very, very painful. So I have to change my device in the very minimum. So they took a different product choice, which was to say that you know, the firmware can be updated. And, um, but, it's very, but it's very, very, very different thing to say, oh, Ledger actually holds my keys and could do transactions, and say, well, Ledger can issue a malicious update to steal my keys. Right? Google can issue a malicious update to Chrome and steal everybody's passwords in the world. Uh, it's a very, very different threat that we're talking about. And, and again, I want to stress, I think both of these models are, are valid. They're both valid business models. The problem is if there's a, there's a customer mismatch of expectations. If my expectation is that I, uh, these keys can never be extracted from hardware because hardware is the ultimate security, there's a problem in that marketing message, if messaging, if that's actually not the case. And that's where I think really the issue is. I don't think that it's uh, um, a fiasco in the sense of this is an outrageous product design choice. I think it's a very reasonable product design choice. Uh, and it's, you know, users can have different preferences, but uh, it's very similar to many other things in software. And if people got the impression, or they gave the impression, I'm, and I'm not familiar with all of those details, but if they gave the impression that no, that's not the case, actually can never be extracted, then that's certainly a communication a mistake and, and we need to you know, in, always learn from that and be better and more transparent and so on and so forth. So that's my take on, on, on Ledger. Um, if I want to talk about are we different, is, is WAS going to be different to that? Well, my first answer is no. Uh, but my second answer we may be later on. So <laughs> the first answer is no, because again, we're running on software, right? So who's writing both sides of this MPC 
uh, our WAS uh, software, Coinbase. So we're writing the server side and we're also writing the client side. If we updated the client side so that secretly it sent Coinbase the user's share and stole all of our user's money, that's something that we could theoretically do. Okay, uh, again, that comes down to Google, uh, Microsoft, uh, Apple stealing everybody by issuing uh, uh, a willfully malicious uh, update. It's the reality of software. But I want to caveat it by saying that MPC does have the potential for doing better because it's two different sides. We have a server and a client and the two party. Again, MPC can be many parties. It can be three or five or even more, but it can be, you know, let's think about these two sides. It is possible to have the client MPC side be written by someone else or be open source and publicly reviewed or uh, and having a separate process for updating that to ensure that nothing malicious ever manages to creep in accidentally. Uh, and that you can't get out of a single model. If you have a single model where everything is in one place, you're unable to, to, to diversify and prevent it by, by having it really been you know, different software stacks that are independently reviewed and audited. So this could be done in the future. It's not where we are right now. No MPC solutions do that today. But the technology is such that it can happen and I just don't think we need it yet, so to speak, but it's something that I can certainly see being there in, in the years to come. Got it. Yeah, I think mismatch of expectations is well said. I think there were a lot of people that were under the impression that, you know, that they didn't have that functionality. And so maybe it's okay to store hundreds of thousands, but when you get to millions, maybe it's not the best solution. Uh, so I think that's well said. And I guess circling back to the comment on software always requiring trust, trustlessness is a core principle of crypto. So are you saying it's not achievable when, when software is involved? I'm saying that you have to define your threat model properly. And what uh, there are very different levels of trust. So um, I trust you. I can speak to you very honestly and openly. Um, everything's great. It doesn't mean that I'm going to give you full access to my bank account. Um, it's a different, completely different level of trust. Right? And, and I, I think that's what we have to think about. Like, Yes, we live in a world, and in this world there are there is software, and it's yeah. I mean, blockchain is trustless; it's distributed. But to some extent, everybody's running software. If I'm able to corrupt uh, all of the operating system providers, and therefore corrupt all of the uh, uh, you know all, all of the blockchain, uh, all the miners in a proof of work, or, or or all of the staking parties in the you know, proof of stake blockchain, then everybody's corrupted. The, the issue is that that's not a very realistic attack scenario. Uh, things do happen. There are very advanced attacks that happen, but that one is just not a very realistic one. We can never have a hundred percent security, and we can never have you know trustlessness. What does that mean? It means I don't trust any single organization. It doesn't mean that I don't have any trust at all across the world. Blockchains require majority of trust, majority of work, majority of stake. And we build in an understanding of uh, you know, game theoretic incentives and financial incentives as to why that would make sense. And it would be a really stupid thing for, for those actors to, to, to behave differently. This would go against their financial uh, interests. But... Um, we have to refine what we mean by trustlessness. We do have to have some overall trust, but I don't have trust in any single organization as a single point of failure that I have no recourse to. And, and that's the really big difference between the Web 2 situation where, yes, all of my data is at, you know, sitting and owned essentially by that social networking company. They can do anything they want. And if they uh, if they decide to cut me off, then there's just nothing whatsoever that I can do. And we're changing that in a very uh, significant way. Has a security audit been performed and is it open source? Okay, so two different questions in terms of the security audit. Uh, absolutely. We're uh, very paranoid because, uh, you know, I used to say when I was uh, an academic doing theoretical research, 
that, you know, the worst thing I can do is have a bug in my paper or maybe uh, fail a student who shouldn't have failed or pass a student who should have failed, something like that. It's not, you know, not a great thing, but nothing terrible can happen. But now I have a job where, you know, it really does make a huge difference. And I, people's, you know, pension funds and, and, and college savings, uh, I really depend on what we're doing. So uh, it's, it's a massive responsibility and we're uh, very, very careful. Doesn't mean that we're perfect because we're humans. Unfortunately, uh, we have the, you know, human flaws, but um, our process is very, very rigorous. So uh, I'll tell you a bit about the process overall. We have a cryptography team and um, we choose a theoretical, theoretical protocol. Maybe that's a paper that somebody else published or we developed. Internally in the team, we independently review this proofs of security. Uh, we then write a specification, which is for the cryptography engineering team because a, a cryptographic paper is not a specification. If you've ever looked at a cryptography paper, it's, the description is nowhere nearly as detailed as needed. There are a lot of details left out, important checks left out because they're sort of obvious to the cryptographer who wrote the paper, so we have a specification. And uh, then we have an independent review in our team that the specification matches the theoretical paper. And we carry an independent review that the code that was written actually matches the specification. And all of that is repeated again in the security organization in Coinbase, which is an independent organization for us. We sit in engineering. That's a separate organization that also works with internal cryptographers and internal security professionals and external consultants to carry out those audits. They'll review again the theoretical paper from scratch. We don't trust the fact that people, many people think, oh, this is a published paper. It was in an illustrious conference or journal. It must be 100% right. That's a huge mistake. You cannot do that. So they will also verify the theoretical paper. They will also verify that the spec matches the paper and they will also verify the code matches the spec. So this is done twice across the board inside Coinbase and in, in different organizations and with external consultants. And of course there are pen tests and all those other things as well. So it's a very robust process, um, very intensive process. And unfortunately it's not perfect and software is not perfect. But I think that really, uh, in terms of uh, going a long way to be really, really careful with other people's money, which is the way we view it in Coinbase in general, I personally view it, I think that we can confidently say that we do that. That's great to hear. And what about the, your thoughts on kind of open sourcing it if it's not yet already open source? Right, so this is something that we very much want to happen. It's something that uh, we believe is, is, is the right thing, that this will enable more transparency. Uh, maybe somebody will catch a bug and they'll be able to write a splashy headline that, oh, we caught a bug in, in Coinbase's uh, uh, code. And if they do, that's a great thing because uh, any bug that a good person catches is a bug that, uh, and I think that's something that people don't understand or they sort of look at these uh, headlines that, oh, here uh, there's, there was this bug or something like that. And they say, oh my God, that's a terrible thing. But actually this, that's, that's a good process. We want that to happen. That means that we're getting better and better all the time. And I think it's also better for transparency. Uh, part of the reason we wrote the white paper, not every organization has a white paper saying exactly what they do. But the white paper that we wrote for us is exactly what cryptographic protocols we're doing. Uh, how we're doing all of the uh, the backups and uh, the the key derivation and the signing and the key generation, all of that is 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 described uh, because we want that transparency. So it's not there yet. It's not something that I can give you a deadline for or absolutely commit to or anything like that. But it's certainly something that we very much want to happen. I believe there are other MPC wallets out there. Who do you find are like the main competitors? Can you talk to us a little bit about that competitive landscape? So MPC has um, become in, in, in many ways the gold standard, I think, for key management protection in, in, in the crypto space. And that means that there are, there are a number of companies using it, and that, that's, of course, a great thing, especially uh, for me. I started doing MPC in 1998 when it was unclear that it would ever be used. It was purely theoretical. Nobody had ever heard of it. Um, my kids didn't care what I did for a living because it was completely not relevant to anything in their lives. Uh, so that's, that's changed a lot. Um, so yes, there are certainly other, uh, other companies doing it and, and there's competition in that sense. 
I can't speak to any specific company exactly what they do. What I can say is that, like with many technologies, it's not all the same. Just because it's MPC doesn't mean it's the same. It's important when you're looking at a competitor or looking at a company doing it, do they have the expertise? How much expertise do they actually have? What level of uh, uh, auditing have they gone through? Uh, do they, you know, what's the size of their team? Can you speak to them and uh, understand exactly what they're doing? I haven't seen anyone take into account the full spectrum of adversarial attacks that we do that's described in the white paper, including uh, MPC-based HD wallets with input and output enforcement and connecting it back to publicly, publicly verifiable backup. There are a lot of subtleties when doing MPC. I'll just give you one example. I hope I'm not getting too technical. But um, with MPC, so we're going to derive a key. So I have one share. You have another share. We run some protocol to derive a new key. And if I've backed up the original key and we've derived the new key from that key, then we know that everything is fine. Um, but MPC protects the process. It doesn't say what force you to use a certain input or to force you to use that output later on. So as if I'm corrupted and we're running an MPC protocol, we derive a key. Now I have a share of the new key. And you have a share of the new key, but I just use a different value instead. It's going to look exactly the same. Because it's all random, you can't tell the difference. Now you've got to transfer a whole lot of money into this new key, but it's not backed up because I've just changed the value. My malicious attack was just to change the value so that uh, the backup wouldn't be valid anymore. And uh, uh, all of those types of things are subtle and, and quite difficult. And this, this is a lot of the work that we've been doing uh, over the last year and a half in Coinbase and actually for years before that as well at Unbound Security and, and in our research, uh, uh, you know, in our research. Another thing is something called publicly verifiable backup. So we want to back it up. So I have a share and you have a share. I encrypt my share under the backup key. You encrypt your share under the backup key and we're done. Great. What happens if I'm corrupted and I encrypt the wrong value? How can you verify that I didn't? It's encrypted. You would have to go and decrypt it in order to check. But if you're decrypting it, you're exposing the key, and that's something which is we exactly don't want to do. So can I give you a ciphertext, encrypt my share, and provide you a zero-knowledge proof that it's actually a valid, the, I've encrypted the correct value, and you can verify that without decrypting at all, without even accessing the private key for decryption? The answer is yes, and we do that inside our wallet. So, uh, uh, and, and we find that to be, we, we believe that to be a very, very important property. Uh, and some people might say, okay, but that's such a far-fetched attack. Why should anybody do that? And my answer is very simple. Um, I don't believe that a far-fetched event is going to happen to me. Um, but when I have a far-fetched event that, uh, whose implications are so huge, then I'm gonna take precaution against that. So yes, I'm, I, I'm going to, and here we're responsible, it's not my money, we're responsible for a lot of people's money. And going back again, I say, I say specifically, I talk about pension funds and, and, and college savings, because these, this is, you know, people are putting their, their, their hard-earned money and we need to protect it. So it may be far-fetched, but it's certainly something which is possible, and therefore we want to cryptographically prevent it. And I haven't seen any competitor go to the same lengths as us doing that. Um, I hope that the white paper and everything we describe will encourage others to actually go ahead and do that because we strongly believe in Coinbase. It's also uh, my personal belief that uh, um, everybody doing better is good for the business. So we just like to grow the pie. And if we grow the pie, then, then we'll grow as well. So uh, I'd be very happy for everybody to adopt these same standards that we're doing now. Absolutely. I think that that's a lesson that you can apply a lot in life where even if the likelihood is low, you have to look if the cost is high, if the impact is high, you need to take it seriously. Uh, and I guess I want to ask while I have you, what advice would you give to aspiring cryptographers interested in pursuing a career in cryptography? Uh, okay. Uh, so firstly, do what you love, not what you think others think you should do. So as with many areas in life, there are hot topics and they go up and they go down. There was a period in time in the mid 2000s where there might be a handful or two handfuls of people doing MPC. Uh, there wasn't that much interest in it. 
but I loved it. I thought it was a beautiful concept. I thought that it had a huge, had huge potential. Uh, and I stuck with it. And maybe, you know, I could have done it on something which didn't, wouldn't have turned out to be of importance, but uh, it did end up being that, and you never know. So uh, if you're going to do research, you have to do research on something you love because if you're just going after something that interests other people, you're not going to do very good research or, or very good work in, in what you're doing. So uh, that's on the research side for, for, being, uh, for cryptography, but now cryptography is not just about research anymore. When I did a PhD, it was like, okay, but if I can't find a job in academia, what am I going to do? That's not the case anymore. Cryptographers are like snapped up all over the place. Uh, so I would say be patient. It takes a long time. The interesting thing about cryptography, it's a very small field relatively, but it's very diverse in terms of the different uh, areas and um, skill sets. So, you know, number theoretic uh, cryptographers building in new assumptions and new schemes are very different to people doing symmetric cryptanalysis who are very different to people doing MPC. And that's closer but different to, to zero knowledge research and each area has you know it has its own nuances and differences so uh, be patient stay focused make sure you get a get a deep understanding and uh, the most important thing is that you're able to develop good adversarial thinking and if you have good adversarial thinking that means that uh, you're able to analyze a scenario come up with uh, uh, the type of solutions needed and prove them secure, then you're able to also move and learn different, different, learn other areas as well. So you can start in one thing and let it move uh, uh, depending on what you're interested in or, or where the market is going. But I think it's really a golden age for cryptographers, really. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful field. You're able to do very rigorous mathematical research, uh, prove it secure. It's not uh, it doesn't have the dirtiness of a lot of heuristic fields, um, but it's very, very applied and very practical, and there's a lot of interest in it today. So uh, go for it, um, but just do what you love, stay focused, and, and be patient. Great advice. Well, I could ask you so many more questions, but the final question we'll ask today is, how are you defiant? Uh, okay, uh, so I'll just be, I'll be very honest. I'm not sure that I am. Uh, I, I don't know that I'm... If I understand defiant as being, you know, how are you change, fighting to change the world? I'm not sure that that's the way I see my life mission. I think my fight's a different one. It's, uh, uh, my fight is to enable those who are changing the world to do it in a way that is safe and secure for everybody. Uh, so that people's assets are secure, their privacy is protected, um, and really providing that infrastructure to enable that growth and to enable you know, the changes of the world to do it in, in a safe and secure way. Uh, and I, ho I hope that's enough as a, as a life mission. I love that. Very humble and honest. Well, you know, it could have been Google, it could have been Apple launching this product, but here you are launching it inside of crypto, inside of Coinbase. So it's, a, it's an honor to see. Thanks for coming on. Thank you very much. Thank you.